was an Alaskan Hello, everybody, and welcome back once again to the Pop and Schlock podcast. This is Jacob King, and this week we are going to spice up your life as we take a look at Dune, parentheses, part one, now in theaters and on HBO Max. We are joined on this episode by my wife, Tori, and science fiction expert, Ryan Terry, as we examine the latest adaptation of Frank Herbert's seminal text. This is a pretty spoiler-heavy episode, not just for the latest movie, but for the 1984 David Lynch film as well, and the book series, so if that bothers you, turn back now. For the rest of you, thank you for your continued support. Be sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review on your listening platform of choice, and also follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at PopSchlockPod. Now, here is episode numero ocho, Dune 2021. All right, let's try this one more goddamn time. Hello, and welcome back to the Pop and Slot Podcast Reloaded. All right, we have a red light, which means we can go. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Pop and Schlock. This is the most anticipated episode of the year because we've been waiting for this movie for what feels like, oh, half a decade at least. We're talking about Dune. That's my wife, Tori, making her triumphant return to the podcast after a couple of years. Say hi, Tori. Hi. Welcome back, Tori. Thank you. Yeah. When does does the music go? Oh, I had that in in post. Oh, (laughs) So it's not like at the radio station where. Oh no! This is a whole new. This is a whole new setup. This is more, a lot more punk rock and DIY. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. And with right, us, I think, I think what, what you meant we meant to say, Jacob, is it already happened. Didn't you hear it? The listeners <laughs> all heard it. No, I'm. I'm not. A, I'm not even gonna. Tr- I'm not even gonna try to like break the immersion or anything. I'm just. I'm just gonna straight up. Uh, in the in the pro wrestling par- parlance, I'm killing kayfabe on this show. Um, but we have Meredith as always. But joining Hi. us once again is science expert Ryan Terry. Because if there was any ever an episode to bring you back, it was going to be this one. Happy birthday, science expert Ryan Terry! That your oh, birthday birthday. your birthday present is you get to be on the Dune episode. <laughs> you know what? That is an excellent birthday present. Thank yeah. you, because that's all you're getting. but that's enough because i mean literally if we wanted to we could probably talk about this movie for a good two weeks straight because it is one dense son of a bitch of a movie but i i i'm just i'm just glad that we get a chance to talk about it because i was very very excited for this movie when they announced that uh denny uh villanueva was going to be directing it i loved blade runner 2049 i thought like this is maybe a hot take, but I actually enjoy the sequel more than I enjoyed the original. And just about every film that he has done, I have loved. Um, I, I did really enjoy Arrival. Arrival is great. We watched that during our great 
pandemic sci-fi sci-fi marathon week and uh tori liked that one as well i did it was really good and i'm i'm a big fan of just about everything he's done so getting him to it was a perfect melding of director and material and so i was really excited for this to come out and i was waiting and the anticipation for the trailer was just at an all-time high and then the world imploded and i didn't know if we were ever actually going to get the film or if i was going to die before it hit theaters like i didn't know what was going to happen so the fact that i got to see it with my own two eyeballs was just an exhilarating experience i kind of made my peace in my mind actually that we were probably one day going to get Dune by J.J. Abrams, and at that point, I had just resolved to walk into the sea. At some, can I have your stuff? Somehow, Baron Harkonnen has returned. Jesus Christ! (laughs) I want, I want your cat. If you walk into the sea, I'm, I'm. Whenever all of us eventually expire. I figure that all of our cats are going to team up and like, they're just going to be the ones running our funeral. Um, I'm not so going to die. I'm, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure that if you don't die of natural means, I will be killing you at some point within the next several months. Because I can't die. <laughs> that sounds like out. a challenge. I mean, she, she hasn't died yet. I mean, we don't have any empirical proof possible. Well, in science, Ryan, which you know, that's called a hypothesis. That's true. <laughs> that's, why, that's why I'm not ruling it out. Exactly. So where do we want to start with this thing? Because uh, there's a lot to talk about. Um, I will say uh, everybody on this call uh, has read the book except for Meredith. Yeah, so I'm, I am the, the, the perspective person here who only went into this movie knowing two things that it was about a cocaine planet made of war made of giant vagina dentata that processes it and also that there were battle nuns but i didn't know that they were eugenicists until i saw the movie um and that's interesting because i have seen jodaworski's dune but i have not seen David Lynch's Dune, and I haven't read the book either, so I am the outsider's slash not a real nerd's perspective. David Lynch's Dune, that's the 80s Dune? That's the 1984 one, yes. Yeah, Meredith, you have to watch that, especially after watching this. You will appreciate this movie so much more. Yeah, David Lynch's David Lynch's Dune is... An experience. It's an experience. Now, is as an adaptation, it is not good. But as like pure 80s sci-fi camp, it is a sight to behold. Yeah, I feel like it's worth an afternoon viewing. Like if you don't have anything else going on, just sit down, watch it, experience it, be grateful for what you now have. Well, it's like whenever I whenever I encouraged Tori to read the book and she did and she enjoyed it. She got on board the hype train for the new Dune very, very quickly. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I need to see this movie. I need I'm like, well, maybe we should watch the original 1984 <laughs> version. And she's like, what? And I sat her down to watch it. And she, occasionally I would look over and she's just giving me the side eye of like, what the hell? <laughs> like, I mean, this- ba- basically David Lynch got the cliff notes that, Everyone in Dune is basically low-level high to high-level high at all times, said, say no more, and then made the move. They live on a cocaine planet. 
Yeah, I, I saw a post that was like, describe Dune, and it was like, um, everyone loses the war on drugs. That's yeah. a good point. I think that's pretty accurate. But they lost the war on drugs way ahead of the start of Dune, let's be clear. Well, um, I'll, tell, I'll say this. The only thing that I will give uh, 1984 Dune the edge on is 2021 Dune did not have enough Patrick Stewart with a pug. Like, yeah. <laughs> Like if true. if they could have just gi- if they could have just given Gurney the pug, then it would have been a flawless film. I'll is throw the, that out there. Is the pug in the book? N- not that I know of. Not yeah, that I, I remember. remember. I don't believe so. No. Uh, I think so it- something something I'd like to uh, to swing around it to twenty twenty one do. Um, so roughly forty years later, the um, the one thing that is it, I, I think is pretty odd, uh, and it's it's. A lot of comparisons get made, and I'll go ahead and be the one to like, you know, bring up the comparison. A lot of people make the uh, comparison between The Lord of the Rings and Dune in terms of sci-fi and, uh, excuse me, fantasy, and then being fairly formative to their respective genres. But I think the biggest comparison between the two is that, much like Tolkien, um, Frank Herbert was very into the world building, like. You, like, you can say what you want about elements of the story in Dune, and, and people have, and I'm sure we will coming up, but everything, certainly in the book, and a little less so in the movie, which I think I'm going to try and get into at least, everything is cohesive in that every element of the world has been thought out in some way. And what I thought was interesting in 2021 Dune is... And this is maybe a, a reasonable set uh, to get to Meredith, because I tried to link, kind of lean, lean over and give her a whisper bit of context to a little bit here and there. Thank God for IPIC. Yeah, where you I, can, where I, you can do where you can do that I, and not uh, <laughs> disturb I anyone around you. We'll say but. that that science expert Ryan Terry was given explicit permission to mansplain Dune to me. <laughs> he had my well, full that, consent. I was like, mansplain it. It's okay. I don't know anything except battle nuns and vagina worms. Well, the the thing about, like, there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot that they just don't explain in this oh, movie yeah. or, or go or go into. And, and to just like the, the number one thing, and it's actually interesting that they don't even touch on it because it's the reason so much of the movie is happening and the reason that the world is formed the way it is, and they just don't even touch it, is that basically, for all intents and purposes, computers are banned in the universe of Dune. Because they already had a Terminator happen, and they're like, nope, never again. And that was like thousands of years ago that they almost got Terminator. Wait, what? Yeah. yeah, that's why that's what? the whole that's the whole reason that the Mentats exist. Reason. Because they, they can't they can't use computers. That's why the Mentats and they don't even explain that men what that Mentats are a thing. You see Mentats, but you don't know that they're a thing. You I'm just sorry. I'm roll. sorry. I'm sorry. So so this this takes place in a post Terminator future. Yes, basically. This isn't this isn't like a Star Wars long time ago galaxy it, far it, far it, away kind of thing. It's. No, like the Bible happens in this. Like the Bible is referred to in the book. So like yeah. it's our world. It's just like really, really far in the oh, future. Oh, so it's like a canticle, uh, canticle for Leibovitz situation, but with a cocaine planet. Basically, because yeah. the, the, the Terminator War, the Terminator War is referred to as the Butlerian Jihad, and that occurred like two thousand years, 
or more. It's quite a while ago. Uh, yeah. long, long enough that there's been like evolutionary divergence in the human race since. Yeah, because this one is because Dune is set in the year ten something, like yeah. the year it, ten thousand like, something, and right. the, you see little hints of that. Interesting, because um, like so, this, this was not. I I thought it was a Star Wars situation where it oh, was no. a long time ago, galaxy far, far away, mm-hmm. where it had no connection to our world or our universe that's okay no. thank you for filling me in no and, and ultimately they, they don't they don't even they don't touch it and also like and you see like little hints of like things that make no sense without that bit of context like a guy cask of amontilladoing himself into the wall to do this assassin drone thing like why in the world would that be necessary why wouldn't you just have a robot do it we have robots now that can do that uh the reason that the dude had to like be in the wall in order to pilot that drone is because they couldn't have a computer do it. They had to have a guy literally there driving it <laughs> and moving it around because yeah, and they... There, and there are little yeah. points in the movie where you get references to that world building, but it's never expanded upon. So like the moment where uh, the Reverend Mother refers to Paul as young human. Right. Or um, just that little flash where uh, the fear, the Mentat, does the calculations of how much it would have cost the envoy from the Imperium to make it to Kaladin. Yeah, Those see, the calculation things- stuff, I was just under the impression that, oh, either maybe he's a cyborg or a sufficiently advanced human, something like that. Like, uh, Ryan had to ex- had to tell me what a lot of that was. So, like I said, I didn't hate it or even dislike it, but I... And I wasn't necessarily lost, but I did feel like I missed out on a lot by a little interesting and fun details. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, this, is, this is a movie that thrives on its little details, and it is very much for the fans of that series. It's very lovingly created. And there are things that are referenced just visually or as an aside that in the book we understand, but right, in the film... Like all of the... Um... All of the imagery with the bull and the grandfather, like they never explicitly go into what that means. They just they just keep showing it. And in the book, that's a very big deal. Yeah, you're you're left in the film oh, to infer yeah. whenever whenever Paul talks about it's like grandfather used to fight bulls, and then <laughs> you see you see the bull. You can put one and two together and see how that adds up to yeah. three if you can read I mean, the line. Versus grandpa died by bull, didn't he? I was like, yeah, grandpa died by bull. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. did ask. I did ask him that. But, but yeah, it's a and and it's like that's the head of the bull that killed grandpa, isn't it? Like yeah, that's the grandpa bull. But yeah, yep. the uh, so it's 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 interesting because like the actual book Dune does a bit of a House of Leads and that it it does a lot of side notes, asides, appendices, and sets up like it kind of is its own Silmarillion in a way. In that it yeah. uh, to keep the Lord of the Rings, and that it will like keep referencing oh, it's out, an and, like will break out. What's that? It's infinite yeah, jest. Infinite, yeah, or infinite justice, Dune. Well, the thing about the the book version of Dune is that Frank Herbert seemed to be really interested in writing anything and everything that was not an action scene. So any of the big action set pieces that you see in the film are largely like maybe a couple of lines in the book. Yeah. Or they happen whenever Paul is not conscious, like later on. Right. Which will be adapted. Or, or, is, or is in an, an advanced consciousness of being high all of the time. Right. So 
it's Frank Herbert's style of writing. For the longest time, people said this book was, in its original form, unfilmable, and that we were never going to be able to get a realistically faithful adaptation. But I think that they did pull that off. The question is, if you look at a lot of the reviews from not necessarily critics, but just your everyday people who have seen the film, they seem to think that, or they seem to hold the opinion that this isn't a satisfying standalone film because of the way that it's produced, because of the way that it ends as being only half of a story. And I think that there is some validity to that in some way, because I can, I can see walking out of the movie theater being a little bit disappointed because the climax of the film is really just like a one-on-one knife fight with Paul and a character to this point that we have no attachment or understanding of. So I can see how that, that climax could be considered somewhat of a letdown, um, especially considering that uh, not that long earlier, the climax of them escaping into the desert with uh, the eventual, with the death of Liet Kynes in Duncan, Idaho, that was a lot more emotionally <laughs> resonant. Oh, yeah, so speaking of Gunk in Idaho, one thing that had been spoiled for me uh, was just, like, attempting to... I did a little bit of, of like, pre-reading, but couldn't make heads or tails of any of it because the lore was yeah. so dense. But I did remember reading, like, a, be- a piece of trivia that Duncan Idaho is the only character that's in every book. And then he died, and I was like, I don't know what's going on. How does he make it to the next book? And... Uh, zombies are a thing as it turns out okay Uh, zombies and ghosts and clones there's so many so many duncan's idaho throughout throughout basically they grow in like potatoes it's fine he'll be fine like let's just just hope that future future iterations do not shave that goatee because beardless jason momoa is just it's wrong it, it is looks wrong. so incredibly wrong remember when we met him and i like <laughs> yes I, I remember vividly we were at a comic convention Wait, he started like, walking he started walking like, the floor and tori literally shoved me out of the way <laughs> to get a better look at him if he was beardless it wouldn't have happened i'm just telling you like no. her reaction to Jason Momoa was basically Batista's reaction when she saw Thor when he saw Thor in Avengers. She's like, that is not a dude. You are a dude. This is a man. Yeah. That was Corey whenever she met Jason it's Momoa. True. In fairness, in fairness, Jake, you always deserve to be pushed. Yeah, you're not wrong. But I, so I really kicked, kicked in the face. I and, will say that I I did kind of. From what I had heard, it was the first half of the book, so I kind of assumed that Dune 2 was underway, and therefore I didn't feel like the big climactic battle was all that disappointing, because I was like, oh, we're watching a part one. Yeah, and I can't imagine someone coming out of this and being disappointed, or like saying, like, oh, that wasn't satisfying enough. I mean, it literally ends with saying, this is just the beginning. I think if you watched it, you'll be like, oh, yeah, can't wait for the next one. Like, I can't imagine being like, no, that was disappointing. I don't want the next one. Here's the problem with that, though. What's the problem with that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it, No, no, no. It, it's not necessarily with that mindset, because the movie 100% is pitching this as, yeah, part one, part two is guaranteed. As of launch of this movie, that was not the case. Um, well, this movie is very much under watch of, like, will we make a sequel? This isn't an it part one and part two situation. 
Or they but knew even knowing knew. that, even knowing that, I still came out of it hopeful that they would make a second one. I think that even oh. I think that even the Warner Brothers was thinking was expecting to do a part two. Otherwise, they wouldn't have put part one at the beginning of the credits. Yeah, that's and true. I I think that it's uh, I think I'm not gonna. I'm not going to say that we are responsible for it getting a part two, but the day that we sit down to record this, they announced they're doing a part two. So I know that correlation and causation aren't exactly a thing, but I'm taking credit. I I mean, that that does sound like a hypothesis. Look, all I'm saying is It can't be disproven. You can't disprove that whatever magic controls the universe didn't see, oh, they're talking about Dune. We better make sure they get a second one. I'm just happy that Zendaya keeps working. <laughs> At the end of the day, I know there was a lot of blowback work for a while. Now. Yeah, I know there was a lot of blowback that she wasn't really in this one for more than seven minutes. Like that was a big topic online. But I mean, she's not really in the first part of the book, so you yeah. Know. But I, yeah. again, there was there was what I like examining about this film is the reaction that a lot of people who haven't read the book are giving it. And it seems to be almost overwhelmingly positive. And I think a lot of that is because this is a meticulous movie. You know, we talk about world building. It feels so incredibly lived in. Uh, Going back to the point about, you know, they didn't explain everything. The fact that they don't explain everything, I think, engages the viewer in a way that there are a lot of films that talk down to their audience. And this is not one of those films. Yeah, and that's the thing. I will say I did not feel talked down to for having not read the book, but I do feel like I had missed out on some stuff because I like being able to find details in things. That that sort of like Easter egg hunting is fun for me. So, I mean, I, yeah. like I, I will said, say... I didn't feel condescended to, but I also wish that I had read the book. I do think that I would have enjoyed it more because I will say this. If you've read the book, then there's so much to enjoy. It's, it's very, it's so much richer if you've read the book. The people people that I know who read the book tended to like it better than the people I know who didn't. And I am, I am deferring to that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to trash the movie or say that there's anything wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. There's something wrong with me. (laughs) And that's because we've known that for a very long time, Meredith. Yeah, subsequent episodes are just going to be my therapy sessions. I mean, the st- I mean, there's a statute of limitations on spoilers for shit. I mean, Dune came out in the friggin' six in the, the friggin' sixties. So yeah, like, at, at, a cer- at a certain point, like I think that's, and, and but I, I do think that ultimately. It, it, it does make sense, for example, that nobody would explain to Paul or the audience in condescending terms what a mentat is, because to Paul, a mentat is a profession that's equivalent as old as the profession of doctor. Like right. some, some, someone who is a mentat, like it just is kind of their thing. And that's why they kind of did it in appendices in Dune of like, if you want to find out what a mentat is, go here and read about it. And you can read about right. how people train their there, minds. Yeah, there's no way to explain. There's no way to explain that organically in the movie without it coming off no. as a real exposition dump. Right. No, and and like I said, I appreciated the lack of an exposition dump. I didn't. I just didn't know. Is he robot? Is he man? Is he something completely different? But I mean, it didn't spoil things either way. It just made me wistful uh, for my error. Right in getting the time of the movie release wrong and not timing my book reading along with it. And I'll say this as someone who like, I reread the book last year, which was my first time rereading it since high school. And I, I will say that 
whenever I watched the movie the first time, I was so engrossed in almost picking it apart as a book reader that I don't really feel like I had as much time to enjoy it as I would have liked. So I did go back and rewatch it on HBO Max, and it was so much more fulfilling the second time around when I wasn't second guessing the pacing and I knew what was going to be omitted and knew what was cut. Like I was able to go with the flow a little bit more than I was my first go around where I think I was, I was a lot more critical the first time than I was the second. Um, Oh, I was too. Cause I kept waiting to see what they're going to leave off and how they're going to do this. And the that. damn dinner banquet. Yeah. Again. Or like explaining like Dr. Yui's wife, the whole story behind that. I was just like the first time watching it, I was like, well, well how are they going to explain this? And why did he betray them? But the second time you can just kind of watch it yeah. and enjoy it. And, and I have ultimately, Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and I have seen like um, images that have been released, I guess, from the the artwork of Dune and the behind the scenes books where there are scenes that were filmed that we asked ourselves, hey, why wasn't that in the in the film? Like there was a scene where Dr. Yui explained the situation with his wife to Lady Jessica. And I think it was taken out as part of a pacing issue. And I'm hoping, and I know... Uh, Villanueva has said he doesn't want to do a director's cut, but dear God, I would kill for whenever the second part comes out for him to go full Lord of the Rings extended edition and just put everything back in. Yeah. It would, I feel like I I would not be opposed to sitting down and watching a 10 hour cut of everything they shot because what they, what they did adapt and the way that they handled it, what they did adapt, I liked and what they cut, I would have liked to have seen how they handled it. So the runtime, all of that, none of it bothered me whatsoever. Yeah, it's definitely something where I I was playing a game of guess where they're going to cut to black here. And uh, I I was pretty much expecting it to be on uh, the Duncan Idaho fight or like immediately after it. And then they they kept going and I'm like, is it going to be like a random ass that that fight with a random ass Fremen? I thought that they were going further because I kind of lost track of time in the theater and I didn't realize how long I'd been in there. So I thought that they were going to go all the way up to uh, like... Where he Paul- selects his name. Yeah. Yeah. I thought they were going to go all the way up into like whenever he, you know, establishes himself in the siege and uh, like has it goes on his little vision quest. Like I expected that to be the turning point and the cutoff, but... Where they ended, logically, I understand exactly, like, why they made that as the cut. Like, I know why they stopped it there. It makes sense. Yeah. It just was unexpected from what I, from what I, like, yeah, I, 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 I lost I my track of time good. because I was so kind of enthralled with what I was watching. Yeah. They would have had to sprint through a lot of stuff because he's got to do a little bit more proving himself to the front end stuff like that yeah that's just that, you don't really like once play, once but... it did end i realized i was like yeah they would have to like fast forward through a lot of crap to either that or it was going to be a four hour long movie and i knew that was going to be wasn't going to be the issue um so this this is one of those movies that uh like i'm a i i am a staunch lover of sci-fi and in all of its different forms um and one of the things that i really appreciated about this was that the way the performances played out for me, uh, it didn't feel hokey. And I was so afraid with the way that Herbert's writing comes across on page and the way that 
we look at sci-fi now, like the way that modern audiences embrace sci-fi, that it wasn't going to translate. And I am, I will say that uh, of all the versions of Dune that have come so far, um, this is the most close to what I saw on the page for these characters, um, just across the board. So as far as the 1984 Dune, the Sci-Fi Channel miniseries, and then this one, uh, the characters I think were portrayed best as an adaptation in this one. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I like all of the actors like independent of the film. Um, and I'm always happy, happy when uh, David Desmalchin shows up in something. But always. 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 I was so happy to see him. But uh, Timothy Chalamet did a great job as Paul um, because that is a role that it's difficult to pull off. It could, yeah, it doing, could go, doing, doing the very reluctant Messiah thing is, I mean, that's going to be hard for anyone. And ultimately, like, I, I very much, you, you see kind of the rejection of the path portion of his hero's journey, and he still really very much has not accepted it. He's more just pissed off at this point. <laughs> I will <laughs> say, he certainly convinced me that he was a British actor with an, trying to do an American accent. <laughs> and it's, I have literally I, spent this entire time thinking that he's British. Nope. Not British. That's that's gonna be the new uh, that's gonna be the new game show on this podcast, British or not. Um, but I mean, everybody lived up to their roles really, really well. Um, like if you look at the 1984 version, there were characters that just they fell so completely flat and one dimensional and didn't seem to fit their position within the story. Yeah, um, like Lady Jessica, I was really happy to see that she was actually capable in this film because in the 1980s version she's not she's just like fall over helpless woman it's just in in this film she's the complete opposite what is she like in the book is she close she's like she's portrayed like she is in this film like gotcha. she's capable she's calculating she's strong um and it's a tough role to balance because yeah, yeah you're just... exactly right because she's got a lot of and I, I was kind of talking about this to meredith in that the initiating event for this is just is sort of kind of, I mean, obviously it's a thousands of year history culminating in this gigantic thing, but kind of the spark that goes into the cat into the powder keg or the, uh, the assassination of Franz Ferdinand here is Jessica choosing to have a boy instead of a girl is to, to say that that starts some shit is a massive understatement. Because, yeah, that it basically kicks off the entire series. And she's definitely having conflicted thoughts about that. Yeah, and, and one, and, and one of the things that the book does really well is it gets into her head. And it yeah. gets into, yeah. like, the things that she's thinking. Whereas on film, she comes across as really guarded. And you can pick up on the fact that she's definitely a character that's sort of torn between her responsibilities. And I remember whenever we were watching the film in the theater, the moment whenever uh, Duke Leto says, I should have married you, that moment, like audience members who weren't familiar with the material, that was a shock. Like there was like an audible reaction to that because people were kind of assuming it's like, oh, they're definitely married, but they're not because she's a concubine. And so like that expectation of like her Bene Gesserit uh, background and the concubine stuff and all of that, it makes her such a complex character. And the way that she was portrayed with um, 
like her conf the conflict that she faces and the responsibility that she faces all of that and her agency within the story I thought was really really well done um I also really 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 liked uh Oscar Isaac as Duke Leto in this and not yeah, just because you like looking job. at him. No, not just because he's like an incredibly handsome man. But... <laughs> and, and naked. Don't forget. Yeah, naked. he looked good. He yep. looked good. Yep, Poe Dameron hung dog. He beard in this movie. He did have an amazing beard. Yeah, and his hair. Like he's, He looked good. He's just like, Oscar Isaac is coming into his own as an actor. Like between this and the card counter this year, he's really just nailing it. Well, and I can't, um, I can't stress this any more than I already have, but he was naked. <laughs> mm-hmm. he had all the facial hair that jason momoa didn't yeah they just they just swapped and then uh also like you've got to give credit to uh josh brolin for uh his portrayal of gurney um because he was exactly what i pictured when i read the book mm-hmm. that just like that stone-faced grizzled military commander style yeah and the the one thing that i wish uh, we could have gotten some extended scene of is like his musical ability. I was going to say of him singing. Yeah. Of him singing or playing the balisset. Uh, but we did get some motherfucking bagpipes up in this bitch. When they went off. So I rewatched this today and whenever they went off, it scared the shit out of orange kitty. She Aww. like jumped up. She was so scared. Aww. It was. And I loved, so that moment for me really, really worked whenever, cause uh, so Gurney, when they land, uh, res- basically recites a line from the old Catholic Bible and then the bagpipes stir up. And it's such a contrast to the world they're establishing of like what we've seen of Arrakis so far and the, the music that Hans Zimmer has been putting into the soundtrack up to that point. So that weird clash of showing that these, uh, the, um, that house Atreides is on this planet, they are the other, they are, you know, they are the occupiers and just the imagery coupled with that music just really worked for me. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, you know, of Celtic descent. So whenever I hear bagpipes, that's just my muff fun shit. Yeah, but, um, but Okay. Okay. But also speaking of someone that has less of a Celtic background than you, but still one, it's a, it's a mixed metaphor there because the Atreides were the colonizers yet the Irish and the Scots were the colonized. Yeah. There's well, this, the whole thing about Dune is that it is like a cautionary tale against the idea of the white savior. And I can't wait to see how that plays out in the back half of the, of this adaptation. I've heard from looking at interviews that they want to, uh, adapt to the rest of the book with part two. And if that's successful, then we will get Dune Messiah as a trilogy capper. So I'm oh. excited at that prospect. I, yeah, I, you, have, you have to be a little bit, yeah, Dune, Dune's interesting. Cause yeah, you definitely have the coded white, uh, Paul Atreides. Uh, he's at least mixed race, but he very white as a, the, the actor. Yeah, he's, he's lily white as fresh snow. Yeah, like, like I, I, I think. Just now, granted, some of that is lost fun. because his daddy is uh, is Oscar Isaac, who just oozes Latin machismo. But yeah, uh, he didn't seem to get much of the Oscar Isaac Latin genes there. No, but, he, he got a lot um, more of his mom than he got his dad. So I do but, but have rate. I do have one question mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. So I heard that the book has a much more heavy handed environmental message in the movie than the movie. 
Is that true? It just hasn't really gotten to it yet. It hasn't gotten like, to that point. Oh, so that, like, that's more when, when you start focusing more on the Fremen side of things. Correct. Yes. Also, everyone's talking about actors and not about Javi, how Javier Bardem was so I love me some freaking so awesome. Javier Bardem. Like, he's, yeah, he was great. He's uh, he's perfect for Stilgar and kind of like uh, kind of like Josh Brolin. He's one of those guys that just has a presence where whenever he steps on screen, you know exactly what that dude is about. And like, it's why I loved him so much in Skyfall is just that he has there's no way when he's on screen that he's not the focus of being on screen. So like the scene whenever he returns uh, with Duncan Idaho to meet Duke Leto. Um, You've got Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa, and uh, and Javier Bardem in the same scene. That that is just a just a, a hurricane of charisma, and your focus is entirely on him. Just like the way that he penetrates the audience with his eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not a good enough reason to use the word penetrate. I don't know. Sure. He's just 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 ocularly thrusting at the audience. That's even Just... worse. Uh, also in that scene, Stephen McKinley, who is a legendary stage actor. Yeah. He was I, like Thufir Hawat. Yes. But yeah, definitely. I, I'm, I'm hoping we get more of him in part two because he played a pretty significant role. He plays a huge role in the book, but I can't book. see how they will tie him in after not doing it in this one. Like where it ended, I I. He well, would have already been... Well, I, in this film, and I, I feel like they really undercut letting us see the machinations of the House Harkonnen. Um, we, got, we, we get very little in the way of seeing them in action, spending extended time with them. Um, which, I mean, we do see like his Mintat dying, so I, I don't know if they'll... Yeah, I think it, it's more of a thing where like we'll sh- it will show up in part two and we'll just kind of pick up with that narrative. It's like, oh, he has he has the fear now. I just um, really liked um, in the book his conflict with Jessica and the doubt. You you know yeah I yeah I know exactly yeah. what you're talking and about. And so I was sad that that got cut. I mean, but it it's still the movie still worked. Still loved it. Yeah, still I mean, great. well, the the thing is, stuff like that that's so internal monologue. Yeah, it's like how so are they hard do to it? adapt. Like, you know, as somebody who sits there and thinks about, you know, from a writing point of view, how could you do that? And I can't think of a way that they could have done those parts of the book with without, like I said, getting really exposition dumpy. And I feel like that would have killed the momentum because as far as I'm concerned, you know, this movie is a little over two and a half hours long and it really breezed by for me. Yeah. Like, it's just like there we're chugging right along and we, and the, you never have enough time to get settled. You never have enough time to really get um, comfortable really before something, before something else happens before there's another inciting incident or another set piece or something like that. And speaking of set pieces, the freaking sand crawler attack. Let's talk yeah, about there, how there's that there, one. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of really good usage in, I think I felt like the uh, the worms were well utilized in this movie. They were, uh, they were in long this movie. sarlacc. Yeah, and oh, a, a, a sarlacc is, is a short sandworm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the the way that they treated the sandworms in this with such scale 
is absolutely uh, what worked for me, um, which is kind of a hallmark of what uh, Denny Villanueva does in a lot of his films. Um, he's He loves to play around with scale and scope. Um, it's especially visible in like uh, Arrival would be a really good example of that. Oh, I loved, um, I loved the sense of scale and scope in Arrival. So good. Yeah. He's, he's, he's one of those directors that uh, has a, he has a very fine tuned visual style that goes along with whatever it is that he's working on. Um, that visual style works. So, um, and it's never exactly the same. Like Blade Runner looks completely different from Dune and Dune looks completely different from Arrival and Arrival looks completely different than Sicario and Sicario looks completely different than Prisoners. Like all of what he's done he, he has a very distinct way of how he wants those films to look and feel. And I really appreciated that with Dune. Um, I will say the first time we saw it in theaters, um, I think the projection was a little bit darker than it should have been. But whenever I watched it on my screen on HBO Max, um, I could see everything completely clearly. So I'm and I'm hearing a lot of complaints about audio mixing. But yeah, I think that was actually I was about to bring up. I, I, I actually agree with it. I think they apparently i haven't watched it on hbo i know you have but uh i can certainly see those complaints uh coming in because i i think they did have some maybe mixed balancing issues um, i'll say in, that in the theater um i felt like um some things worked better than watching it at home because I was watching on like a standard two speaker setup. I don't have surround mm -hmm. sound or anything. Um, so the one thing that I will say is the, the voice works so much better in theater than it did at home because there's no way to translate that level of like rumbling bass on a two speaker setup. Um, and whenever I, but whenever I listened at home, the music to dialogue balance was a little bit better. So I'm thinking it might just be a matter of, calibration rather than the mix itself but that's i'm not i'm not technically minded enough to really be able to tell we, we talked about the sarlacc and we talked and we, and we talked and you now that you brought up the voice and something that kind of came up pretty pretty frequently and, and the illusions are certainly in terms of the first trilogy on star wars but it's it's really funny especially when you start watching it in theaters and and when we've just had a star war uh precisely how much Lucas just pulled off from Dune. Just, I'll take the big desert planet. Cool. I'll take your monster thing. I'll put that over here. They can talk to somebody and they can do whatever they want. That's a really cool power. I'll give that to my guys. <laughs> yeah. I, like, so much. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, you know we've, we've talked at length about how, uh, I think, was it last week we were talking about how important it is for uh, creatives to be honest about where their influences are. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, we talked about how Aronofsky both like gushed so much about how much he loved Satoshi Khan, even interviewed him, but then ripped off complete, Im like all so much imagery from Perfect Blue for Black Swan, and then said, "Oh no, actually, I came up with that on my own." Yeah, and it's like George Lucas very openly talks about his the influence that like. Akira Kurosawa had on Star Wars. I mean, the original Star Wars is kind of a takeoff of Hidden Fortress, but you don't hear him talk, or at least I haven't heard him talk extensively about how much Herbert influenced Star Wars. Um, but whenever you like look at it from like cover to cover, Star Wars took a lot from Dune. Yeah, they did. Like I like that was I remember whenever you started reading, you came to me and you're like, so um, 
when was Dune written? Yeah, I needed to know which one came first because the similarities are very obvious. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And it's, and it's, I don't necessarily, it's not like I'm saying that Star Wars isn't a valid piece of media because it's. No, it, we because love Star Wars. Yeah, in I this love house. me, I love me some Star Wars, but it is, it is kind of funny to sit there and go, oh, that's where he got that. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a major, major influence. And you can see why, because, I mean, you know, Ryan, you brought up uh, the comparisons to Lord of the Rings. Um, I So much of modern fantasy and sci-fi can be traced directly to those two. Um, and then, of course, yeah. elements from uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs and Robert Howard and Lovecraft um, also play heavy into, uh, into modern sci-fi and fantasy. Um, I, I think it's, it's fair to say that Dune isn't quite as uh, formative to science fiction as fantasy is from uh, Lord of the Rings. And I think that's mainly just because you almost can't have a, uh, you almost cannot have a fantasy film without seeing elements, like, even if they're just the races <laughs> that that uh, yeah. Tolkien pulled through. Well, some, but, of that, oh, oh, some of that too is because a lot of those, uh, I forgot what I was going to say. Sorry. But that's part well, of the reason that, why I've been enjoying like silk punk fantasy and things like that instead. And even Shang-Chi because it's nice to see fantasy going somewhere other than a Tolkien direction. I, I, I do. And I think the reason that everything goes in the Tolkien direction is because the Tolkien direction eventually influenced like Dungeons and Dragons and that begat everything else. Well, probably um, also because a lot of what Tolkien pulled from at the time, I mean, not that other, not that other stories aren't, but um, you know, orcs, elves, etc. that's all public domain. So you can show your right. work without, it really necessarily being a full on lifting of the creatures that he came up with. Cause he didn't come up with them himself. Right. It, and it's really a sci-fi of Asimov. And yeah, I was just about to say, um, Herbert and Asimov are probably more responsible for, uh, derivative science fiction than any other authors <laughs> in the canon. Um, Asimov. And it's funny. I just started watching foundation on Apple TV, um, which bears, very little relation to the actual foundation book yeah, as far I've, as I've heard it has pretty help. much nothing to do with it. But you know what it does have? What? Lee Pace. Nice. It does have Lee Pace as a uh, as a uh, as a space emperor who can explode people with his mind. So I feel like that was the part he was born to play. He it is I mean, such a Lee Pace part. Like if you ever like, if you have a chance and you're like, you know what I want to do? I want to watch a show that's kind of like Space Game of Thrones, but with more math. You know, give it a, <laughs> give it a shot. I have dyscalculia, Jake. <laughs> but yeah, the, uh, and, and the third the third name I'd toss in there would be uh, Philip K. Dick. Yeah, it's the third kind of found of like the, the trilogy of sci fi authors that kind of and it's and it's funny yeah. because like Philip K. Dick, um, I've only I've only read. Like, this is me showing my ignorance. I've minimally read Dick. Like, I haven't had a whole lot of Dick in my life. Um, but the movies that have been adapted from his works, I think I've seen everything they've ever adapted of his work. And it's one of those things where maybe the, I've heard that they're not always very faithful, but 
the like the central themes and the ideas that he was playing with those really uh really jumped out to me a good one that i actually want to go back and rewatch because i haven't seen it in a while was uh scanner darkly was scanner's really good. good um scanner's actually a fairly faithful recreation. that's what i've heard but um the, I, i've i i i on on the covers have had a lot of dick um and the uh, there is a a definite theme to his work of kind of uh, he, he was basically the um, forerunner for like Black Mirror style of yeah really of, of of watching it go of watching things kind of go horrifically wrong. Um, he also was not a um, not very good at titling his work. I always thought that was hilarious. If you ever go back and uh, yeah, there's there's that, a big difference between like okay, if I see do androids dream of electric sheep? And then I see the title Blade Runner. I know which one I'm going to want to see. Yeah. And like, I don't know if that's just like, like my lizard brain uh, or what, but yeah, the, the title definitely. Uh, is he only titled one thing correctly. And that was minority report. That one was yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll say like, again, um, I really, really hope we do get some of the later Dune entries. Like I hope we get a Duneverse. Um, uh, like the cinematic Duneverse. I hope that happens. And I hope that we eventually get to God Emperor of Dune. That's just basically like a socio-political treatise where a giant worm talks down to people for like two and a half hours. I'd watch that. I, I, I am actually of the opinion that a little, that the Dune, I'm one of those of the opinion that Dune, the Dune works get very Silmarillion as it goes on to the point where they, cease being as interesting as novels and i think would also cease yeah they, they just become interesting films. as ideas but not stories he, he start he starts to channel and i i do not and i do not state this uh <laughs> i do and i do not make this comparison like lightly the later works start to feel very ayn rand in terms of how they're written as kind of think pieces on ideas first versus actual stories oh, and while his ideas please, are a little more interesting please, than Rand's. It's please, still not but great to be perfectly novels. fair, I would still rather read those later books that are just ideas than have to sit through um, the books that are like co-authored by his son and Kevin J. Anderson. Because I tried to read some of those, the little sidequels and prequels and whatever. Yeah. God, they're bad. Just next level can't get through them. They feel so incongruous <laughs> with uh, the original Frank Herbert novels that I just, can't, I can't do it. I can't bring myself to do it. And um, one of the red flags, whenever I started looking at 2021 Dune, when I saw that Kevin J. Anderson was a consultant, I was like, oh, please God, no. But uh, it didn't seem to adversely affect the film at all. I mean, they were running off of actual good quality source material. So there was only probably so much. You could bring. Yeah. And I, I'm just, uh, I'm just like, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, I'm just so gun shy of like my fear now that we are getting part two is that part two of Dune is going to be like part two of it where they like really, really nailed the first one. And then the second one made me want to slam my own dick in a drawer because they <laughs> no, just. No, don't threw... do that. You said you don't have enough dick in your life. It's going to be less soon. Um, Cause I like, I was so pumped for it chapter two and then it happened and it was, Oh God, what a wet fart of a second part. Like, 
the more I think about it, the, the, the less there is to like. And I really hope that's not the case with Dune because there's a lot of stuff in the back half of the book that I really, really want to see done well. Yeah, yeah, I can certainly, uh, I can certainly see where that, that that fear and comparison could come in. Uh, entirely different creative team here, though, so shouldn't. Uh, although it is an example of something happening, I think that that isn't. So let, t- tell you what, I, I'd like to uh, throw. I'd like to suggest a segment. May I suggest a segment? Sure, it's your birthday. Uh, <laughs> let's call it, let's call it the, 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 the answering Dune questions. So, so Meredith, I know you haven't, you may or may not have some prepared, but now, now that you've got three books, although I've, I've probably read the book as far back, I have not done my reread. I've read it, but it has been, it wasn't, uh, it's been college for me since I've read it, but. Um, yeah, what, I read last summer, Tori read this year. Yeah, I read like a few weeks ago. So, so Meredith, based off of your watch of the movie, what are some questions that you have, if you have any in your mind, and maybe this is throwing to you, and then we can kind of maybe answer those or kind of talk about how to make it fleshed out. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious to hear kind of like what sticks out, because I, I noted that they don't answer a lot. And obviously I have, like they don't even say the word mentat, for example. Um, but what are some things that, come into your mind of why was this or what is X and we can maybe talk about it if there is anything. Like um, well, I will say first off to ever ask me the question, what is in your mind and not think nothing. Uh, thank you for <laughs> not thinking the truth about me. Um, I think mostly my questions are what, what do you think I having read the books? What do you think? three think I missed out on probably the most in terms of context and what was something that you felt was missing that you really wish had been in there for me to experience well I I think my answer to it is is that a lot of the idea behind Dune and, and the big thing like the differentiator between Asimov and Herbert is Asimov looks at the foundational technology uh, portions of the future and look science fiction in terms of what can we do with machines whereas Herbert looks and in, in deliberately sets up the uh, post-Terminator future that they're dealing with as a way to instead of looking at that look at how could humanity's capabilities evolve in the future and I really wish that, and I, and maybe this will be a lot of part two because a lot of part two is actually watching Paul evolve from someone who may have some early training in things like the voice, but really go from that to like, well, he changes, let's put it that way. And so as, as that goes down, as it goes down that road, maybe, They'll show kind of how humanity, the mind of someone can change and uh, what that does when you just have all of the cocaine. But I I kind of do wish that they had at least something in here to hint at why computers are uh, banned or that they are banned. Like to even have that as a statement that you can't have computers. And I, I feel like that is kind of missing. And I do wish that they would talk about it because I feel that's pretty foundational to what the work is 
in Dune without that as a basis is it, it has a big hole in its uh, foundational center and yeah. that needs to get addressed in the next part or somehow because everything in the entire story uh, is bases off of we cannot make a thinking computer. There's like a commandment of thou shalt not replicate the mind of a human in a machine. Yeah. Like, and you cannot replace thinking with machines. And that is up, that is all the way down to like doing calculations. Everything is manual. And that. And I think that that kind of ties in too. Like we don't really get a real feel for why spice is so important with in terms of like they just kind of throw away uh, mention that it's like oh this is how we navigate interstellar travel but like if you tie that to the fact that they don't have computers it makes a whole lot more sense um another thing that i wanted to like see what y'all's opinion was i feel like the uh the imperial politics of the world building was not very well established in this version um and that the the whole real conflict over Arrakis was just kind of like glazed over. Um, and so, sorry, you can go ahead. I, no, no, I'm sorry. My audio dropped out. Okay. Well, I was saying that I feel like the, um, the Imperial politics in this version of Dune is, was not very well fleshed out. And I was wondering if like non-book readers really got the crux of why uh, the Harkonnen and the Atreides families were like so at odds with each other and why um, like the political appointment to Arrakis was so important. Like, I don't, I'm just wondering if uh, that came across. Oh, I, because... just, I just assumed that the Harkonnens were like the British and the, the uh, Atreides were like subservient to the British. Like this whole thing was basically just, oh, British imperialism not really because oh, no, and... the actual answer to that question is is that you have a because neither the harkonnens nor the atreides are the emperor and you see him very briefly um at the start of the film um and the idea is that the emperor has a whole bunch of vassals of which both harkonnen and atreides are but because um, Arrakis is such a valuable piece in the political game board, whoever controls it uh, is going to gain immense amounts of power. And so he, they, by trying to pit, to an extent, Harkonnen and Atreides against each other, he's trying to weaken his two most powerful rivals to emperorness. It, I, I feel like the way that he goes about it is pretty bad because he kind of feeds the Atreides to the Harkonnens, basically. Um, yeah, is it, it's, not a, going. it's not an incredibly well thought out plan if you look at what no. his end game was. No, but, it really was not. It's like not a great plan. Now you've just got the Harkonnens who have it and no rival, and you're probably next, buddy. Sorry. Yeah, and like I feel like there were certain elements like of that world building that they touched on. Like um, there were different imperial bureaucrats of the change uh, that were like there was the herald of the change who came to uh, to Kaladin to like inform 
uh, formally in, uh, tell Duke Leto that he was taking control of Arrakis. And then there was the judge of the change that was Liet Kynes. So there were all of these like imperial elements they didn't really get fleshed out a whole lot. And I was wondering if like non-book readers picked up on what exactly was going on. And I think it's a your mileage may vary kind of thing. Because I think that, you know, I hate to go back to Star Wars again, but part of what a lot of viewers didn't like about the prequel trilogy the first time around was that there was too much focus on politics. Why do I care about a blockade? Um, it's like, I just came to see people fight with laser swords. So I feel like maybe that's why in Dune, they were like, There's, that's a lot to throw at people. Let's focus on the vagina worms. Because that's what they are. I mean, the imagery is very succinct. At one point, I think there was one. What kind point, of vaginas are you looking at? Ones with teeth. Don't kink, <laughs> do not kink shame me, Tori. The imagery is succinct. Okay. All right. The alternate explanation is that the the scene where the giant sandworm pops up and looks at Jessica and Paul, I, I leaned over to Ryan and said, if it was pink, it would be my cat's butthole. <laughs> I mean, God knows yeah. he puts that thing in my face enough times. Very Mr. Creosote type. is shy halud. Oh, God. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I feel like they like did a good job of explaining most things, but I feel like the more that I get into it, if I have complaints, they get really nitpicky. Yeah. Like I, I and I don't want to nitpick it because this is a monumental film in terms of what it accomplished because this, this, the original book is so damn dense. There was no way that they were going to be able to turn it into a standard two hour movie. Um, I've heard people say, it's like, Oh, this should have been a mini series. Well, I like possibly if you want to get every little minute detail, but I think you would have missed the cinematic scope of it doing it for a mini series presentation. Um, because this is, this is a movies movie. This is, I keep telling Tori, we need to go back and see it in IMAX laser. Cause I want to see every grain of sand. Um, this, this is a movie that you do need to see it in the theater. Yeah. Yeah, my, my only my only major my only major point that isn't a nitpick is the one I already made that they that it's really 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 hard and I don't think you can have Dune without the technological questions that it's trying to answer and talking about and that which becomes foundational to why spice is important and all of the abilities that you see from the Bene Gesserit to the Mentats to what Paul eventually starts doing and all, all this other crap that's going on um, right down to how space travel works and the gigantic fish people that have dunked in pure spice. Yeah, that's a thing. Uh, there it is. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Did you just say fish people dipped in pure spice? Uh, yeah, that's how they pilot the ships. Did Gary Busey write this movie? I mean, obviously not because they didn't put them in. Yeah, like there, there's certain things that are in the text that I think are just a bridge too far for like your mainstream audience. And I don't think, you know, we've talked at length about how whenever you make art, you just, you make the art and you hope people accept it. But at the same time, uh, this is a movie that was hoping to get a sequel. And I think that if they put something that was that weird into this first installment, it would have turned people away. Like uh, whenever we watched the 1984 version, uh, the opening scene where just a giant brain monster in a glass box. Like I met, like I looked over at Tori and the look on her face was this, this is, um, this is a choice. 
So I, I love I, I love David Lynch. I love David Lynch so much. But you when I hear something like David Lynch's Dune, even not being super familiar with the material, I'm kind of like, I think I just like it better when David Lynch is just allowed to do his David Lynch thing versus adapting someone else's material. And just, you know, we go back to the idea of string theory and multiple universes. There is a universe where David Lynch did follow through with his intent to direct Return of the Jedi rather than Dune. There is a universe where that happened. There is there is also something, I will say that I have seen photos of the costuming and things from both that as well as, I mentioned earlier that a lot of my familiarity came from Jodorowsky's Dune, which uh, I, I watched that documentary because A, it's good film history, and B, uh, being a fan of a lot of the stuff that came out of that failed project, like Alien, uh, the InCal, things like that. Um, I was very curious to see how it, it fed in um, to all of that. But I, I wish that the costuming had been as bold as it was for Lynch's and for Jodorowsky and Mobius's original concepts, too. Yeah, I think I think that uh, Villanueva's vision really leaned, in, leaned into the brutalist nature of like the architecture, the clothing, everything. Um, but I mean, I yeah, liked the... I felt like it was appropriate. Yeah, I felt like it was appropriate. I, I really liked when uh, House Atreides landed on Dune, the uh, their like war suits or whatever. Mm-hmm. Those That was really, like, I liked that aesthetic choice. I, I do love, I will say, I do love brutalism. I own books about brutalism. I just don't want to always see brutalism in my sci-fi. I wish that it had, I, I get, I think maybe we're spoiled a lot from things like the fifth element where it's allowed to be colorful. I, I just don't want everything to keep looking like an an iPod. Yeah. I think if they would have included, um, we keep going back to the dinner party scene. Mm-hmm. I think if they would have included that, you would have seen like Jessica's costuming there. Um, because I mean, like for most of this film, they're surviving in the desert. They're wearing clothes to survive in the desert. Yeah. But I think if they would have shown more of like that, you would have gotten more costume choices. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, and Meredith, I just I just sent you a message of what a navigator looks like, uh, in the as described by the book. Uh, and so I won't go into too much more detail about it here, but it does kind of have to be seen to be believed. And yes, that thing was once supposed to be human let me look hang on i'm is it oh this here is, we go this, yeah meredith looking at text messages makes for such great radio that exactly it's a human so, that's a navigator oh yeah. yeah but any but any Aww, but at any rate it's got that ugly cute thing going but yeah so but, any, but point is yeah putting uh putting what what amounts to a uh, super brain fish man in pure spice yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of weird that they didn't touch on. And I don't know how weird they're going to go in the sequel, but I'm hoping that they'll be emboldened to make really weird choices. Like, I'm really... One of the things that Tori has brought up is, in the 1984 version, um, uh, Paul's sister is not done well. 
it's just, it's weird. And so we're, what she said was she's afraid of it becoming a Twilight Breaking Dawn situation. Yeah, where the baby looks crazy. Just like pure uncanny valley. I can't look at this. It frightens me. Yeah. Yeah. I could certainly see that happening. happening. I don't see how it's not going to happen. Because like the baby comes out and is a reverend mother and knows everything and speaks like an adult. How are they going to get a baby to do that? Terrifying. They're going to. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, it's going to be terrifying, Meredith. I don't, sounds, I don't see how it couldn't be. Absolutely horrifying. What in God's name? It, it, ah. Basically, there's some side effects from being... Basically, it's because like, she's only don't just do recently drugs become when you're pregnant. pregnant. Yeah, she's only just recently become pregnant. And then she goes, not just into a, under Arrakis, but like into like the Fremen colonies and around the sands and dunes of Arrakis, which you're just breathing in pure spice constantly and there's no way around it and so this baby is getting a constant dose of mega cocaine and prophecy cocaine for its entire gestation period it yeah so it comes out able to smell colors and (laughs) and like just pure just pure and taste the future yeah, it's it's good. and I want to see how they pull that off because it the back half of Dune gets really weird. Yeah. So and it, it moves very fast. That's why I'm concerned about where they chose to split it. I mean, I don't doubt that they can stretch this out and give us another two and a half hour movie, but where they split it in the book, that's like two thirds of the way through, at least. But like I said, Frank Herbert was not a fan of writing action sequences. So I think what whatever the big climactic payoff is in uh, the second half, the film will be much more fleshed out than it was in the book. Oh, I have one question, actually, now that I think about it. Um, was the character equivalent of staying in a blue cod piece in this one? Okay, so no, Fade Routha... Yeah, Fade Routha was not in this version. Okay. Um, and there has been some talk that they may just fuse that character with Batista's character um, for the sake of brevity. I don't know for sure if that'll happen. And I hope not because there's such a differentiation between those characters and the way that their personal philosophies and how their, um, and how their cruelty affects others. I really would like to see. um, And see costume wise, I'm just saying there were no blue cod pieces and that would have been hilarious. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's no, there's nothing that says we won't get blue cod piece in the next one. Yeah, I mean, so so Fade Fade Rautha is, I'll, I'll, well, maybe not the only because he, he does kill that one dude in the middle of the desert, but one of the only like real Fremen antagonists, um, and uh, it's it's just something where uh, I, I think the fact that we haven't spent all that much time with the Fremen by the time that we end this movie, I think that I think it's very likely in my mind that we'll get Fade Rautha. I really hope so. But that's all speculation and conjecture. And we'll come oh, back for the was, reunion okay. episode in 2023. Question. Who we'll would be you be like, wow, we were dumb. Who would you cast in that part? Oh. Sting. Yeah, Sting's pretty timeless. Um, I'm trying to think of like a modern, like pop star equivalent. But a different Sting. This will be like, take a break from AEW. 
Yeah, Steve Borden sting. Yeah, you know, exactly. Six, Steve Borden sixty-two sting. year, sixty-two year old uh, dad bod sting. Oh, actually, yeah. you know what? He keeps the face paint. If you're talking That's about right. if you're talking about pop star turned actor that might be able to pull off that you know the kind of charisma, Harry Styles um, is apparently like very much rumored to be in Eternals. Yes, I've heard that rumor and as well. The character that he's rumored to be playing, as much as I absolutely hate Star Fox, I do think that that's an appropriate. Yeah, uh, appropriate I can see that. And the thing type. about, and like, I'm sure they'll find a way to fix Star Fox for the movies because, oh boy, uh, yeah, Star probably. Fox. Needs, uh, <laughs> well, I, think, I think we'll be fine as long as we keep her far, keep him far away from Carol Danvers. Like as long as those two don't interact, I think we should be fine. Why? But like Harry Styles, I've not, only does he and Brie Larson not get along in real life, or like what's the deal? No, you you don't know that storyline. I don't know. No. Where... Oh, I mean, I just know that Star Fox is really disgusting and creepy. Oh, it's it's you don't know the half of it. Look, uh, I'll have to send you the whole backstory because that could be a whole episode in of itself. Oh wait, but... wait, wait, is that? I, I hope that's not the one where, like, a guy from another dimension impregnates her with himself. Yep. Is Star Fox involved in that? That's disgusting. Yep. yep. That's yeah. so gross. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You're, I, I didn't realize that Star Fox was involved in that, because I thought that guy's name was, like... Yeah. I thought it was some kind of Krang Marcus nope, thing. Nope, nope, nope. There, there's... That is... As much as, like, as much as Marvel wants to downplay that, is is a thing that happened. That is um, horrific. Yeah, I remember reading, like, that and being like, what in God's... And they're, they're all like, oh, you're pregnant, that's so exciting. Like, never mind, it was a mind-controlled incest rape, baby. Yeah, and, like, the... I, I forget who it was. I think it might have been Chris Claremont who didn't, like, an issue that just eviscerated that storyline to try to retcon it. It was awful. Um, it was terrible, but yeah, I mean, Harry Styles could possibly pull it off. The only movie I've seen him in, like as an actor, was Dunkirk. He was really good. Yeah, and he was good in that. So yeah, I mean, I mean, I feel like limited, but I feel like I if mean, they completely revamp Star Fox to just be like, um, like a finger gun and sunglasses, cool guy, but not a creepy yeah. rapist, he would he would be able to nail it. I think so. Maybe he could yeah. be. Uh, Maybe you could just put him in a cod piece. Hey, hey Rafa, I, I, I could see, um, it's funny, it is also wrestling. You, you could probably do, if they wanted to get somebody big, um, get someone like Dwayne Johnson in there, that'd be funny. And with him and Batista in the same movie. Well, I know Batista said he never wants to do a movie with either The Rock or John Cena. Why? Um, Are they not buddies? It's I, I because mean, he, wants, sure he wants to distance himself from his wrestling past, and I understand that. Like he's like of all the wrestlers turned actors, uh, Batista is the most concerned with his craft. Like he wants to be an actor. He doesn't want to be in movies. He wants to be an actor. So I can see that. Um, there, I mean, but what shame is there in act in in wrestling? Is that not acting? Yeah, it's just it's just the way that. It's all about changing public perception because just the way the general public perceives professional wrestling versus yeah, like, and I think that's I mean, ridiculous. Just, like the idea is Dwayne Johnson's in movies, but he plays Dwayne Johnson in every damn movie he does. Like there is no difference between Skyscraper and Rampage and San Andreas 
and the Hobbs and Shaw, like it's the same character every time. Batista, there's a very big difference between what he did here and what he did in Blade Runner 2049 versus like everything else that he versus Drax. Like he changes things up. And I think that's the difference for him is not necessarily being a name on a poster, but being somebody who slips into the role. Well, he, he is very fun to watch. I he is. enjoyed him here. And don't I'm just glad that in this film he moved around a bit so that like I could actually see him as opposed to when he stands so incredibly still <laughs> that he's mastered yeah. the art of becoming invisible. Yeah, I, I, I will say he did not. <laughs> I, I was actually going to make a different joke that he was actually in a lot more of this movie, but standing incredibly still uh, because he, he does not have a whole lot to do other than uh, other than to exclaim at Baron Harkonnen. Yeah, well, I mean, if I remember correctly, Beast Rabin only showed up towards the end of the book. He doesn't have a huge role in the at no. least the first part. Of he was he book. was mostly mentioned in the the early. Part, well, you know, yeah, first. you know that like he's the one like whipping and getting the spice and stuff. But no, and that's why I was surprised at such a big name that they cast such a big name for him. The same thing with Duncan Idaho, knowing that he dies so early. I was really surprised that they got Momoa. I mean, I'm not disappointed that we got to look at him, but I I wasn't expecting it. I I think it's going to be super interesting if they do make an expanded Dune. Um, If they, uh, because we'll get Mentat Momoa. That's cool. He's too pretty to do math. (laughs) I mean, he'll be, he'll be doing some friggin' math. Like ultimately, uh, that is the sexiest goddamn trigonometry I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Basically, so hard. Yeah, he'll be he'll be, he'll be jacked on numbers. Um, because yeah, it's uh spoiler, spoiler alert, but they they bring him back to life as a ghoul, which is a ghoul or a basically revitalized human body. Uh, he has none of his old memories, and they make him into a mentat, which is the computer people, and. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. Like I said, they go down some weird pathways in the later stories. And it'll be interesting to see which ones we get. Um, So I want to start wrapping things up because we do have a World Series game to watch. Um, Oh, right. That starts tonight, doesn't it? It does start tonight. Um, That's okay. They'll wait. Houston's in the World Series again. so, uh, So make sure you leave out your milk and cookies for Paul Wall. Um, Jacob and I are wearing our cursed clothes that reverse the curse. We have not washed them since the Division series. We only put them on oh for God. game time. I love that. That is awesome. Yeah. We're like full yeah, on superstitious yeah. here. We're not superstitious, but we are a little stitious. Yeah. I was going to ask what that smell was. Uh, but Yeah, it's, I mean, to to be fair, like we only put them on for a couple hours at a time, and then they go into a like a carefully stashed area. There's a special shelf on our closet where these go. Yeah, we're That's, we're committed. I love that. If we yeah. win, it's because of us. Yeah, if we win, it's because of nobody but us. Yeah. If we lose, we're it's resp- nobody's fault but ours. No, it's everyone's fault but ours. So like I, we all we have no fault, but we get no. all the praise. Yeah, I, that's I, how we operate. I will yeah. say that I don't follow baseball. But I am oh rooting, I'm rooting for the Astros because of how happy it makes my friends. Yeah, so okay. I, I, I'm rooting for the Astros because of how angry it makes the state of California. <laughs> and the rest of the U.S. Yeah. But like, um, 
But I am I am going on Friday to a sushi bar that's playing the game to because my friend is gonna watch it, and I'm going to cheer for him, cheering for the Astros because nice. I like. I like when people are happy and football is the only sport that I want to flush down the toilet because they steal all of our funding in the public schools, both, uh, both middle school and high school and college levels. They steal all the funding from the academics and the arts. Not um, to mention all of the CTE and the cover yeah, up. Exactly. And the domestic violence and yeah. Yeah. all of all that. Of, all of that. Yeah. yeah. So, like football at most levels is just a cesspool. So well, yeah. I, I mean, Go Astros. A lot of yes. sports a lot of sports can be like I don't want to just point fingers at at the footballs, but the footballs does take our funding. There is not there is not an equal distribution of wealth among sports and the arts and academics here in Texas. So I do have a vendetta what? against football, but other sports are okay. Yeah. Like, I had to I went to public I went to a public high school and I had to pay to take art classes. Oh yeah, that's the way yeah. it is at uh that's the way it is at my campus. Yeah, you have to I had pay to, for the art supplies. I had to pay for all the art supplies, but the football team got new uniforms every year and also a hot tub. Well, I mean, you've gotta soak. <laughs> but also they got You gotta take an educational soak, Meredith. An educational soak. Anyway, uh <laughs> is there soak any- my paint? An educational soak in pure melange spice. Yeah, you you know that you're uh you know that you're like fully down the dune rabbit hole whenever you start baking and you're like mm, melange. <laughs> um, so, is there anything that we need to cover before we uh, before we wrap things up? Like, is there anything that we didn't touch oh, on? Go see Dune. Go watch it. Go see it in a theater. Watch it on HBO Max like 500 times. Keep giving them all of your money so we keep getting more movies. Go see Dune. Actually, okay, so I I want to put forth an audience question. And Jake, maybe you can put this up as a poll on the Twitter. Oh, I can do that. Because I don't have the password for the Twitter anymore, so I have no idea how to work it. Um, Did you do that on purpose, Jacob? Yes, I did that on purpose. (laughs) Have you met Meredith? Of course you have. I've never seen her Twitter because I don't really do the Twitter. My Twitter is hilarious. It's like it, it, it oscillates back and forth between like pure shit posting and burn down the establishment. So, you know, what yeah, you'd that's, expect. That's not true. Sometimes I plug my projects. Like I said, burn down the establishment. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, um, actually, that, that's pretty. Jake, Jake kind of accurately describes my Twitter experience. Um, but I want to I want to get a, a listener poll. Should I read the books or should I be like the odd one out who offers the outsider's perspective on subsequent coverage of these movie films? I know I didn't say much tonight because I did want to cede the floor to the people who were actually dedicated, but... um, Yeah, some of us did the assignment, Meredith. Well, you know what? (laughs) You know what, Jake? Homework is just a pawn of the establishment to keep us in line for when they need to put us on the capitalist chopping blocks. Oh, so believe there. me. Like I, I've read all the research that homework is ineffective and completely a waste of time and yeah. actually, actually detrimental to student learning. Like I've read all the research. Oh yeah. Same. But I mean, they could have actually, I mean, you could have actually just asked students what they thought instead of doing the research. <laughs> you think students think. Where would this poll be? 
Um, I'll <laughs> probably put it like I can actually attach it. Uh, they, they've given me the option to do listener polls through Spotify now. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, you can so... put up several and we'll see. Like you can put that up on Spotify and Facebook and Twitter because I am curious to know. I, like I said, I didn't want to take up too much of the real fans uh, space in, in this episode, but if I, I can talk more and provide my perspective as a non-reader in future episodes, or I can take the plunge and read the book, which I had been planning to do since college, but never got around to it because I don't know how to read, apparently. Um, well, you're, same you're with 50, me. Like, this was the first... Years. You're 56 years overdue on the assignment. Yeah, this was, like, the first real book I've read in a very long time. Jacob was like, if you can take a break from your Star Wars fan fiction... And read this. I will be oh, so proud Star of you. Wars, Star Wars fan did. fiction totally counts. I mean, look if you if you look if you want if you want a five hundred thousand word slow burn AU fic where Kylo Ren is like a sweet shop baker, I guarantee you. Oh my god! But like, I Tori did just, has at least two. Yeah, I did just read one well, where he's a baker and Ray is a tattoo artist, and it's oh, very sweet. Yeah. several meetings. It's very sweet Hallmark movie. But in Star Wars, very good. I, I imagine anyway. that's prob- uh, Look, I would rather I would much rather read that than like Ian Rand. Yeah, like sometimes your brain it needs a break, especially the like ebook for this one was eight hundred and eighty three pages. I need some fan fiction after reading that. Like I need I need some fluff. Oh, I thought you yeah. meant that the fan fiction was eight hundred and eighty three pages. No, I have no idea how long that was. Like that's that's dedication, and my hat's off to you. Like. I, I Every time a, I read something long like that, Jacob's like, why don't you just read a real book? That's as long as, like, three real books. I am a fan of fan fiction. I'm just going to, like, begin and end the conversation with that. And I, I have a threshold for fan fiction, and, like, it has to approach... Like, it, it, there's a very thin margin of, like, it has to approach and cross a certain level of weirdness, but not cross the next level of weirdness. <laughs> there's a very thin margin where it's, like, my comfort zone and what I'm willing to read. And, like, I will go to, I guess, like, AO3 or a couple of these places mm-hmm. and I'll see, like, there's some good Godzilla fan fiction out there, but then there's some Godzilla fan fiction that makes me question the existence of a just and loving God. So... Uh, I think the weirdest fan fiction I've ever seen was, okay, the ship that got stuck in the Panama Canal, whatever, yeah, yeah. there was fan fiction about that. I almost read it, but I did not. Oh man, Tori, can you send me a link to that? (laughs) I can probably find it, yeah. Yeah, I want to, I actually do want to read it for science. For your poll, Meredith, I think you should read it. Um, I think it's good to have the opinion of someone who hasn't read the books, but I think you will love and experience more if you've read it. And yeah. I want you to get the most out of the Dune universe. No. I want you to be as like involved in it as we are. Yeah. And as hype. I'm not I I'm not opposed to joining a cult. Yeah, we will welcome you. One of us. One of us. One of us. Finally, yeah, you I like I think you should read it. I think you should read it. Like I, my my reasoning is a lot like Tori. I think that um you deserve to enjoy this on the same level that uh that both of us did yeah it's the same thing where um it's like with harry potter even though that's like you know jk rowling and how terrible she is and all of that but it's like going to the midnight premieres when you've read the book you're just you're just an extra level of hype like i want you to have this with dune we can have this together 
Well, I, want, I just want you to be as upset at the omission of the dinner party as I am. Like, for me, like, the dinner party is my Tom Bombadil, Wait, damn okay. it. Like, what's, what's it should your... have been in the movie. Wait, so when you say when you say dinner party, I think of Oscar Isaac being naked while Baron Harkonnen eats in front of him. So this happens before that. No, this happens before that. It has, it, has a, it has a drunk dunk in Idaho, a drunk in Idaho, if you will, um, which I believe... Would have been worth watching, but no. So whatever. You're living in your own Duncan Idaho. So like my my vote is for you to my vote is for you to somehow read it before October of 2023, which is when Dune Part Two is supposed to come out, and the Duneverse will expand. Science expert Ryan Terry, what does your science brain say? I I agreed. Become the Quidditch hierarch, or uh, also just read Dune. Either one. (laughs) All right. Well, this has been great, you guys. I greatly enjoyed discussing Dune. Um, we have not selected next week's film yet, so I will get with you, Meredith, soon so that yeah. we can start hyping that. I've I mean, got to. Or we uh, could just rewatch Psycho Gore, man. I, I just feel like if. You keep bringing that up. It's such like, a good movie. It's like the best that, movie that we have watched on this show ever. Oh my God. Ugh, I can't get over how good it is. Science expert Ryan Terry hasn't seen it yet. Well, I, like, I'm afraid that he would have the same reaction that I would, that I had, where it's like, this is a thing. And that's about oh, as far as I'm no. willing. Oh my God. I loved it so much. I just want to flip a table over and how much I love it. Yeah. I, it's, it's one of those things where like, it's the exact opposite of Dune for me in terms of like, it has all the elements, but it didn't connect. Whereas Dune was missing some of the things that I would have liked to have seen. And yet somehow like it got its hooks in me and just rode off into the Sandy sunset. So, uh, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm with my wife. I, my wife, um, I, cause I can't not do it. Damn it. It's the year 2021. And, uh, it's still funny to me. Um, but yeah, myself and Tori both agree that this is something that, um, I think everyone should give it a try because it is a challenging film for people who haven't read the book and for people who have read the book. I think that they will be like we were um, greatly pleased with the adaptation. So uh, it has our vote of confidence. Cool. I will take that into consideration, but I also want to see what our listeners think for the lulls because they also want to do things for the lulls. Yeah, and we're all about that. So once again, uh, thank you to Ryan for joining us. And again, happy birthday. And, yay! And to Ooh. all our listeners, <laughs> you sound so enthused about your own existence. Whoa. <laughs> all I, right. Well, you know, science expert Ryan Terry, I am older than you. So when I hear things like that, I'm just like, oh. You're, you're older than all of us. I know. I, I'm so the Combined. Kid. Yeah, like, because, like, my child bride over here um, is just, I mean, she's essentially just a baby. Um, And then we, and then we jump up to myself and Ryan. And then there's like, wizened old Reverend Mother Meredith. And that's, that's just the dynamic. But Meredith, you look great. I, you look great. I, I didn't know you were older than Jake. I never would have thought you were. You look great. Thank you. I'm older than science expert Ryan Terry, too. And I've the- never met him yet, but I'm sure he looks it, great, too. It, it, that, whoa, whoa. That's not an accurate statement, though. 
This is such a weird tangent to end the episode on. Maybe just cut all this out. No, I'm not. I, I never cut the weirdness. The weirdness is what gets us listens. Like, did you hear the crazy shit that these people got into? Like, if it's not like you. Ryan is so forgettable. She completely forgot she met him. No, it's like. Have we really met? I, I genuinely don't remember. <laughs> Yes, we have. I think we I think we met. Do you like, remember which radio, one? I think we met at the radio station. We at the radio station. I've also been to your house once and met you there. Oh yeah, but you I wasn't to, there. You were no, there the other time. Yeah, yeah. It was not the house that you're at now. This was the previous. No, it's the, it was the old house. Oh God, I'm sorry. I really don't remember. To be fair, I remember when Meredith would come over, but I don't ever remember a guy coming. To be fair. There have been times whenever I have to swear up and down on the good Christian Bible that we have watched a movie together. And Tori's like, I have no memory. Like, she just pulls a pure oh Gandalf. I have oh no memory god. of this place. Oh my god. I saw. I, I swear up and down that I saw Venom with science expert Ryan Terry. And he insists that we didn't. And I have, I have very strong memories of us going to see that movie. <laughs> And he didn't. I was going to say, like, he's going to post a picture and it's all of us together. And somehow I still don't remember. It's like dated three days ago. And like, <laughs> I'm subtitling this episode The Mandela Effect. <laughs> yeah. It's so also, I've, not only did I not see Venom with Meredith, I, to this date, have never seen Venom. And You're I missing out, man. If you, like, want to see a wet Tom Hardy in a lobster tank, and if you, want to, if you want to read some really, 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 really interesting and innovative fanfic, that is not an insult. They write some interesting stuff in that yeah. fandom. And I'm here. Yeah, well, I'm, I am here for you, Simbrock shippers. I support you and what you're doing. Keep it weird because things should be weird. Yeah, and I think that we've made this episode sufficiently weird. Like, we didn't get into, like, unionization talks or, like, I didn't go too in-depth about how I want to, like, put my mouth on a, like, on Winston Duke's thighs or anything. But uh, I think that... But I think that we've uh, we've hit our tangent quotient, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap things up and say thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye! Bye-bye!